May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Hey, welcome to Parkway Fellowship. I'm so glad you're here today. I want to welcome our North Campus joining us by video feed. Glad you guys are with us as well. And today we wrap up our series, Hashtag Family Strong, by talking about making right choices. Now, in preparation for this message, uh, the coolest thing happened this week. I was... I sat down to kind of write the intro to this message today and to just kind of get my mind going down the right track. I sat down and I started making a list of the right choices that I've made that have positively affected my family, okay? When I'd finished, I had a list that was about a page and a half long. Now, I'll be honest with you, I did not come up with a list of all the wrong choices I've made. Figured that list might be longer. And by the way, who wants to do that anyway? So like, I didn't, so I didn't even bother with that. Anyway, I made a list of all of the right choices I made. And as I looked over that list, some of the decisions I made, I made because God told me to. For instance, like when I took my first full-time ministry job, that's the job that brought me here to the Katy area. And had I not made that decision, that would have greatly affected my family because it's affected where we live, where my kids go to school, the people that we've met, the friends that we've made, the, kid, the people that my kids go to school with, and the teachers that they have. I mean, it has had far-reaching effects on my family. And then as I looked at that list, there were other decisions that I made. I made simply because the Bible said so. One of those decisions was that I was not going to have sex before I got married. And that, that one decision has helped Amy and I so much because we've, we've just avoided so many problems and having to work through so many things. And I can tell you, that one decision has had such far-reaching benefits for us, and it's helped our marriage be so much stronger. And then as I looked at that list, there were other choices that I made that, I promise you, they just seemed so inconsequential at the time. I mean, what I mean by that is that it would have been no big deal if I had chosen something else, um, and choosing something else wouldn't have been wrong, it just would have been a different choice. Like, one of those choices that seemed inconsequential at the time was, when my kids were born, I made a decision that I was going to pray for them out loud each night as I put them to bed. And that one decision has proved so beneficial because not only does God answer those prayers, but each night, and I still do this, by the way, each night, it gives my kids a chance to keep, it gives, keep that dialogue about spiritual matters open, and it gives them a chance to, a natural chance to talk about some things that have happened during the day, or maybe something that happened at school. I'm telling you, it's been incredibly beneficial. Now, it didn't start out as this like, really great, amazing spiritual experience. I'm telling you, when they were infants, I mean, there were times when I was praying for them, they were just screaming their face off. And so it wasn't like this great spiritual thing. But I'm telling you, I'm so glad that I stuck with that commitment because it's made our family so much stronger. And I'm willing to bet that if each one of us sat down and we made a list of the decisions that we've made, that we would be able to look at that list and we would see the finger of God tracing its way 
through those decisions that have made our families so much stronger. Because here's the thing, making right choices affects the future of our families. And sometimes the results of those right choices, I mean, they're easy to see. But other times, the decisions, they just seem so inconsequential that we can't possibly anticipate the results. But I'm telling you, the ramifications can be huge. And just like those ramifications can be huge in a good way, sometimes they can be damaging if we make wrong choices. Because just like we can't always you know, anticipate the results of what good choices are going to be, sometimes we can't anticipate the results of what bad choices are going to be, especially when those choices seem just so inconsequential. And sometimes the problem is not even making wrong choices. Sometimes it's just missing out on making good ones. So here's the thing. With all of these unknowns, and with potentially so much good for our families on the line, is there a way that we can consistently make right choices? And is there a way that I can pass that on to my kids or to my grandkids? How can I consistently make these right choices? And what does strong look like when it comes to making right choices? And look, here's the thing. While we cannot foresee the results of what's going to happen in the future, God can. God can. And fortunately for us, this morning, he is going to give us some great direction when it comes to making right choices. And if we follow what he says, we will be able to reap the benefits long term of making those right choices, and then our families can become seriously family strong. So, go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. And let's start by asking this first question, and that is this. What does God want me to do to consistently make right choices? What does God want me to do to consistently make right choices? Here's number one, your first fill-in. Fully obey God down to the little things. I need to fully obey God down to the little things. I want you to look at what God says to King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 2. The Bible says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now, go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything. I want you to circle, destroy everything that belongs to them. And by everything, God means everything and everyone. He says, do not spare them. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Okay, now look, attacking the Amalekites... That was a really big deal. They were one of the arch enemies of Israel, and they were a very, very powerful nation. So for Saul to obey God and literally put it all on the line and attack the Amalekites, Amalekites unprovoked, I mean, that, that was a huge step of faith. So hats off to Saul 
for the amount of faith that he displayed in obeying God. But here's the thing. He didn't obey God all the way. No, God told him to destroy everything. And he, he did. God killed all of the people. I mean, Saul killed all the people. Except for Agag the king. Saul destroyed all of the livestock. You know, I mean, except for like the really good ones. So Saul obeyed God, you know, like, like 97%, right? I mean, that's got to count for something, right? I mean, it, honestly, it does. Because God blessed Saul by not letting him be killed in battle. They won. But God sends the prophet Samuel to Saul to tell him that God was going to remove Saul as king. Look, not for disobeying, but for not obeying all the way in the little things. Which, by the way, is disobeying. So look what happens after Samuel tells Saul the bad news. In 1 Samuel 15, 27, the Bible says, As Samuel turned to leave... Saul caught hold of the, tent of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Now check it out. This is devastating news. This is devastating because Saul's choice doesn't affect just him. It affects his entire family. Because look, his son Jonathan will never have a chance to be king. It'll never happen. And so here's a little boy whose future is completely changed because of the choices of his dad that honestly probably seemed inconsequential at the time. And it's going to affect his wife because she's going to lose her position as queen. Their future grandkids are never going to grow up being royalty. So here's the thing. Saul's choices don't affect just him. They affected his entire family. I know, I mean, that's really heavy, right? That's a big deal. But here's what you got to understand. When you obey God, you have to obey God down to the little things. You've got to obey God even down to the little things because here's the thing. It's the little things that make someone great. It's paying attention to the little things that separate those who are king from those who could be king. That's what it's saying here. Now, let's pause for just a second because I'm not saying that if you ever mess up that everything is doomed. Okay, that, that's not what I'm saying at all. And it's not like there's an expectation that you and I have to be perfect because we're not. We're all going to mess up, including me, okay? And when, we miss, and when we mess up, there is grace and there's forgiveness for us through Jesus Christ. But the flip side of that is this, is that when we choose to obey God all the way down to the little things, there is immense blessing and simultaneously when we do not obey God down to the little things 
there can be some fairly damaging effects. Some, sometimes there's some very damaging consequences. Look, there's always forgiveness, but sometimes there's consequences. So God is saying to you and he's saying to me that one key component to becoming family strong is to fully obey him down to the little things. For instance, God tells every Christ follower to make sure that there is not even a hint of sexual immorality in your life. Okay? That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Okay? Now, that certainly means that you should not have an affair. Okay? Like, that's the big thing. But what it really means, down to the little things, is it means that there is not even a hint of sexual immorality in your life. Is that true for you? Think about some of the posts or pictures on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Is there anything there that would make God raise an eyebrow as to what really is a part of your life? Is there any flirting or looking at someone else at the workplace? Remember, it's about obeying God down to the little things. What about language that you use? Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 says, get rid of all filthy language. Now some might say, well, you know, Pastor Mike, I mean, I don't use the really bad words. In fact, I, I, I hardly cuss at all. You know, except like when I'm in the car by myself in heavy traffic. I might cuss just a little. But I promise you, I always do it while I'm smiling and waving so they don't even know. <laughs> so really, I obey God like 97% of the time. I mean, that's got to count for something, right? But remember, it's obeying God all the way down to the little things. That's what he's saying. And look, I mean, it could be, it could be anything. Perhaps God has convicted you to get out of debt or to dial down your temper or to start reading the Bible every day or to become a member at the park instead of just attending. Or maybe he wants you to really open up at small group instead of just, you know, kind of faking your way through it and hope nobody really asks you something, you know, private. I, I, I don't know what the Lord might be asking you to do. But whatever it is, even down to the little things, obey him. I'm telling you, that one thing will make you and your family so incredibly family strong. So would you be willing to make a commitment right here, right now, that from this point forward, you would be willing to obey God even down to the little things? Would you make that kind of a commitment? I tell you, it would be huge, huge. All right, there's the second thing. Number two. To make right choices is this. Don't justify what I know is wrong. Don't justify what I know is wrong. Well, the guy that is going to replace Saul as king is a guy named David. And yes, this is the same David that killed Goliath. Now, David is such an important person in the Bible that our entire next series is going to be about David and his life, okay? Now, when we get to this passage that we're about to read, David is not yet king, but 
David knows he's going to be the next king. But the problem is, Saul knows it too. So Saul is hunting David and David's men. Well, one night, David and one of his men, Abishai, one of his trusted soldiers, they sneak into Saul's camp at, in the middle of the night. Check out what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 26, beginning in verse 5. It says this, Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now, get the spear and water jug that are near his head. Let's go. So David took so Dave, sorry. So David took the spear and water jug near his head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Okay. Now, let me help you know what's going on in case some of it's not coming across. Saul has been hunting David like prey, okay? So David found out where Saul's camp was, but Saul didn't know where David's camp was. So David and Abishai, they sneak into Saul's camp at night, and lo and behold, all of the guards are asleep. I mean, there's nobody standing watch. And they interpret that correctly to think that the Lord must have put them all in such a deep sleep. And then Abishai takes that to mean that David should kill Saul. Because, uh, look, check it out. They go to the camp. Nobody's on guard. God's put them all asleep. They know exactly where Saul is. They go into his tent. There is Saul lying asleep, and his spear is right by his head. God has already told David that he's going to be king, that Saul is not fit to be king. So basically, Abishai says, hey, David, it's pretty clear God has set all this up. Let me take that spear and kill him. It's clearly what God has set up for us to do. But David says no. In fact, David says, no way. He says, who am I to kill God's anointed person as king? See, for David... This is about the danger of interpreting circumstances as God's will. Because look, I'm, I'm sure there's a part of David's heart that wanted to eliminate Saul. But there was this other part of his heart that said, you know what? That is not my self-appointed place to kill this man. Even though technically it would not have been considered murder because this is a battle situation and it would have been merely a casualty of war. 
So murder wasn't the issue for David. It was about the danger of interpreting circumstance as God's will and violating God's principle that this was God's anointed. And so David said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So what's the lesson here? The lesson is, don't justify something you know is wrong just because the circumstances appear one way. Don't justify what you know is wrong just because the circumstances appear one way. And that's the situation that David found himself in. I mean, it would have been so easy for him to just take that spear and kill Saul right there on the spot. I mean, the circumstance made it seem like that's what God wanted. But it wasn't what God wanted. It was actually a test to see what kind of man David really was at heart. And David proved himself strong by not justifying what he knew was wrong. And the same is true for you. Don't justify something that you know is wrong. Look, I don't know what this spear scenario would be for you. But if you find yourself in a circumstance and there's and you're having to justify to yourself a certain course of action, that is your conscience telling you that it is wrong, but you are trying to justify something the Holy Spirit is telling you is wrong because of the circumstances. For instance, it would be like saying, you know, look, God brought, has brought her to my office to work at my company, and I'll tell you, we really hit it off, and she really makes me happy, and my wife and I, we're not in love anymore. She's changed, I've changed, and now God has brought this other person into my life. It is clear that God must want me to be with this woman. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. That is not what that means. Now, God might have brought her to your company, to your office, so that you can make a decision to follow what God says is right by not pursuing anything with her, clinging even closer to your wife, and God might use that to rekindle your marriage. I'm telling you, God would never ask you to do something that violates his commands or his principles found in the Bible. Look, that's just one example. I mean, I'm telling you, there could be hundreds of scenarios that we could come up with. But bottom line, don't justify what you, something that you know is wrong. So what does strong look like? It looks like men and women who listen to the Holy Spirit through their conscience and don't justify something that they know is wrong in their heart. So look, I'm telling you, it is so dangerous to look at that spear and try to interpret circumstances as God's will. It's so dangerous. And so use what God says in the Bible. Use his principles that he has clearly spelled out because 
That is how you know for sure what God's will is. Does that make sense? So don't justify. Don't justify. That's what will make you family strong. So why did David and Abishai take the spear in the water jug? Well, I'm going to let you go read that on your own because we don't got time for that today. But I'm telling you, it is a great, great, great story. It's fabulous. Okay. Now, one more thing to wrap up the series. Here we go. Number three. Be the one who does things differently. Be the one who does things differently. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says this. It says, you shall not bow down to them. This is God talking about idols, okay? Says, God says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but, I don't want you to underline all of verse 10, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now look, when people come across this verse in the Old Testament, most of the time they focus on the, you know, punishing children for the sins of their fathers part, okay? But look, that's not even the most important part of this passage. The most important part of this passage is that if you're faithful to God and keep his commandments, God will show his love to a thousand generations in your family. So look, here's the deal. You want to be family strong? then you need to be a source of blessing and favor to your family. And you do that by being the one who does things differently. No matter what happens, you're going to be the one who does things differently in your family. That you're going to be the one that says, no matter what the world says is okay or acceptable or justifiable or politically correct, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what God says. And then whatever God says, that is who I am going to become. Because if someone were to trace our family tree a hundred years from now, and they were to trace it back to my life, they would trace it all the way back to, to my life, and they would say, that is where our family experienced a turning point. That is where our family started to change because he lived his life sold out to Christ. She lived her life without compromise. He lived a different way. She lived a different way because she lived for Jesus. And it changed the course of our entire family from that point forward. We could trace it all back to that. And here's what God is saying. He's saying, He says, that kind of a commitment starts a chain reaction in your family that has such far-flung effects that, that it will outlive you. It says that God will not stop blessing your family and showing your family favor. Literally, he says, for a thousand generations. Because here's the thing. God will not forget your faithfulness to him. And so he will remain faithful to your family. I'm telling you, that is how you become family strong. That's how it's done. Parent, grandparent, teenager, it doesn't matter what age. God puts no age limit on this. So let it start with you. You know what? Every time you put on your family strong t-shirt, 
Every time you refill your Family Strong coffee mug, every time you refill your Family Strong water bottle, use that as a reminder to say, God, help me to be the one in my family that does things differently, that starts that chain reaction of blessing that will remain in place long after I'm gone. Would you do that? Then find your connection card and let's take some next steps together. Maybe it's this first next step. I will choose one right choice I've made and list out how God has used it to make my family strong. Just, just one choice. You don't have to come up with tons. But, if, but one and then all trace all the ways that God has used it in your family. And you, then you can do another one if you want to. But what a great thing to do. So amazing. Next, I commit to fully obey God down to the little things. Would that be a commitment you want to make? Next, I will not justify what I know is wrong. I will not justify what I know is wrong. Next, I commit to being the one who is a source of God's blessing for my family line. That would be huge. Next, every time I use my hashtag family strong items, I will ask the Lord to help me live faithfully for him as the starting point for my family to become strong. Be an awesome commitment. Next, I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Look, here's the deal. You cannot be that source of blessing for your family until you have given your heart to God. Until you have committed to follow him. And that's what being a Christ follower is. It's asking Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you for everything you've ever done and then pledge your life to following him. If you've never done that, there's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. It's right below these next steps. If you've never prayed that prayer before, something like it, and you're ready to do it today, then I'm going to give you a chance in just a second to pray it. But I also want you to, if you pray it, I want you to check this box, and I want you to also to pick up a new believer packet. It's on a little table just before you walk outside of each of the doors to this facility. So grab one of those on your way out of the worship center today. Last one. I commit to come next week for the start of the message series on David, God's Imperfect Hero. I'm telling you, it's going to be lights out. So right now, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes, and I want to give you a chance to pray and ask God to help you follow through with the next steps you've taken. So let's do that during these next moments. Father, I want to say thank you for your faithfulness to us, even during the times of life we haven't been faithful to you. And I pray for every single person that is listening this morning or on the internet or on a podcast, God, that you would help them to make the choice to be the one, to be the one that starts that chain reaction of blessing in their family line that would endure for generations long after they're gone. 
And so I pray that you would help us to live lives sold out for you, even down to the little things, and not justify things along the way. So help us, God, to do that, and that through that, you would make our families, families strong. And bring us back next week so that we can hear more. And I ask you to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.